All right, everyone, welcome back to the Royville Movie House. We've just stepped out of the theater and all of my popcorn is gone, so let's get into our latest review. Yes, we watched Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to, to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb from 1964, directed by Stanley Kubrick. Now, like I said, I do know that we just did two Stanley Kubrick movies in a row, and this is usually more random than that. But as luck would have it, this was our random draw, and this makes me feel a little bit better about how I feel about 2001. So, in Dr. Strangelove, the cast is actually quite big, but um, I'll just read off a few. Starting with Peter Sellers, who plays Group Captain Lionel Mandrake, President Merkin Muffley, and Dr. Strangelove. George C. Scott, who plays General Buck Turgenson, Tur- Tur- I can't even say it, Sterling Hayden, Brigadier General Jack D. Ripper, Keenan Wine, Colonel Bat Guano, Slim Pickens, played Major King Kong, Peter Bull played Russian Ambassador Alexei D. Alexei and a very young James Earl Jones played Lieutenant Luther Zog. The movie was written, uh, the screenplay was written by Stanley Kubrick, Terry Southern, and Peter George, and the movie is based on a book called Red Alert by Peter George. Little side note, biggest bit of trivia that I found out about Dr. Strangelove, there's two. Peter Sellers got a really large, large paycheck for this. It was 55% of the budget for the whole movie. And wow. Stanley Kubrick said that he got three for the price of six. And the other bit of trivia that I thought was very, very interesting is this movie actually instituted policy change so that the events of the movie would never happen. Oh, that's pretty cool. All right, so Dr. Strangelove is a satire piece. I find it rather rather funny in a lot of places and kind of frighteningly almost accurate. Not that it did happen, but that it could have happened. Steve and I are the not... The base premise of the movie. Yeah. Steve and I are not old enough to have lived through... The beginnings of the Cold War with those damn Ruskies and all of that stuff. But we did live through the end of the Cold War where there was a lot less speculation about the enemy of the Cold War being less than human than there was in the 60s. So this does seem to be kind of a absurd amount of bigotry, I guess, involved with this. But also it kind of softens it a little bit later. But we can dig into the plot a little bit. So basically what happens is General, Brigadier General Jack Jack Ripper, I was going to say Jack Ryan, (laughs) Jack Ripper decides that uh, we need to get past all the talking and posturing that the Cold War was uh, giving, was warranting. And calls Plan R, which is a our attack wing Plan R. I can't remember. Yeah, something like that. For his attack wing. Okay. So Plan R is a plan instituted and approved by the President of the United States 
which will only be put into effect if Washington is hit and the president is taken out of commission. Well, obviously, the president has not been taken out of commission because he's a character in the movie. Um, But Brigadier General Ripper confiscates everybody's radio, cuts the base off from the world at large. So everybody who's stationed on the base, aside from himself, should not find out that America's not under attack. But Plan R basically states that a B-50... the B-52 bombers that are all 24-7 flying within two hours of their targets in Russia are to go and release their nuclear payloads at their primary and secondary targets. They set their radios to a frequency that you can only access if you have the precursor code. I can't remember what they called it, but it's a three-digit code that that you have to give in order for their radio to even receive any messages. Well, to verify that the message is real, that the message is not faked in any way. So that's what happens. Um, So this all happens. All of the B-52s start flying in. They don't have the code to call it off. And the president calls everybody to the war room, which is this nebulous room in the Pentagon that seems almost endless. There's no walls, just a big board and a table and food. Oh, I thought there were walls. I didn't see any walls. I I think they're implied. It's just the way that they film it. It's in the darkness that surrounds like the big board and and where they sit. Um. So, in the war room is the president, played by... Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. George C. Scott's character, General Buck, and a number of other ambassadors, diplomats, politicians, and generals. And the president is upset because he doesn't remember Plan R, even though he approved it. And Buck keeps telling him it can't be stopped. It can't be stopped. We need to get Brigadier General Ripper to give us the codes. It just can't be stopped without that. So we see the relationship the president has with the Russian premier. uh, Which is quite cozy. I mean, uh, the ambassador seems like a a tough fella, um, but we never see the Russian premiere. We just hear him on the phone, kind of. Well, he's talked to on the phone, but you only get it from the president's side. All right. So that's going on in the Pentagon. They're scrambling to find an out. Back on the base... Uh, the out that they discover that they discover that they put into action is to send an army troop after like to invade the cutoff base. In the meantime, inside the base, basically because they're trying to get the brigadier general, capture him, interrogate him, and then get the three-digit code. So they send another group of U.S. military to siege the base to get the brigadier general out. Correct. In the meantime, however... I think it it needs to be said, though, that the Brigadier General has told all of his men 
that by no means should they allow anybody on the base and even the U.S. troops could just be commie troops in disguise. And to fire on anyone that comes within 200 yards. Yes. So in the meantime, while the president and his advisors are coming to this conclusion that this is the way to end it, Group Captain Lionel, Lionel Mandrake, is a member of an officer's exchange. He is actually a group captain in the RAF, the Royal Air Force. He's, you know, British. Yeah, he's the liaison to this base. He is actually the XO to the Brigadier General. And in confiscating everybody's radios, one of them turns on, and it turns out it is just playing music, which means that the United States is not under attack. It took me, both in this viewing and in my first viewing of this movie, way longer than it should have for me to understand why Mandrake was so, like, excited, like, that the radio was just playing music. I know that sounds like weird, but it took me way longer to understand why this was a big deal. But anyway, so he goes to the Brigadier General and says, well, we can call it all off. We're not under attack. Obviously, it was uh, it was a test or a mistake, but we're not under attack. And the Brigadier General locks him in his office and says, starts spouting a bunch of nonsense about purity of essence. Purity of our internal fluids. Basically, he goes on a big, long speech and explanation about why this needs to happen. And basically, it all comes back to the fluoridation of water. And how the commies have poisoned our water and he'll only drink pure grain alcohol and distilled water. Basically, the Brigadier General has all of these conspiracy theories probably kind of a little bit of what was going on at that time that the communists were doing all of these crazy things against the United States so people believe that these conspiracy theories were were going on and probably vice versa on their side as well believing that the U.S. was doing things so the Brigadier General was kind of the showing the audience that side of it and so he decided to do this to attack the uh ussr because of these ideas that he has about what the communists are doing he actually want it it's that and he just wants the war to actually happen because then it'd be over basically they can't hold up to the might of the u.s purity of essence peace on earth Pieces are profession, etc. So, given all of that, the group captain, Mandrake, uh, rightfully decides that the Brigadier General is uh, slightly off his rocker. And so starts talking to him like you would to someone who's slightly off his rocker and very gently and trying to... trying to cajole him into giving him the code. In the meantime, outside, you can hear the firefight happening between the uh, besieged base and the army battalion moving in to liberate the base. Uh, 
the Brigadier General grabs a Gatlin? What it what was I think chain it was, gun. Yeah. Like and, a saw. And just grabs a hold of it and just starts shooting the crap out of everybody. Yeah, like it's a pistol basically. Well, yeah. <laughs> it was part funny. of the yeah, part <laughs> of the there is comedy in this movie, even though it kind of deals with a very dark issue. But there is they try to make the satire comical in, in some ways, too. So, with Group Captain Mandrake feeding him his uh, chain, basically. Uh, so, that all happens. The Brigadier General, after that all happens, decides that he won't hold up under torture, which he's convinced is going to happen. And he goes into the, into the bathroom and shoots himself. Taking the codes with him, ostensibly. In the meantime, back at the Pentagon, they're starting to figure out that, like, they're in trouble. <laughs> There's nothing that they can do. But it does come out that the Russians actually have a doomsday device. Like, a doomsday device. If Russia, if any target in Russia is attacked, it's set to go off, it can't be turned off. It will drop radioactive materials into the earth and explode and cause a curtain, a radioactive curtain between the earth and the sun, hence killing every man, animal, plant on the face of the planet. So we have that to deal with as well. And up in the air, the... I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over the place. The movie kind of does the same thing. It's really hard for me to even... Yeah. I think basically the only thing we need to know about the planes in the air are that they eventually... Or, well, I guess I would be jumping ahead. So, go ahead. Up in the air, they're hoorah, United States... Slim Pickens is play uh, playing Major King Kong. Slim Pickens is the guy from Blazing Saddles that played uh, the main stooge. So, very distinctive voice. He's from Texas. His last name's Kong, so they call him King. Uh, the thing that struck me about the scenes in the plane, aside from when Johnny comes marching home again playing in the background for every scene that they're on the plane, is that... The B-52 is depicted kind of in the same way that a submarine would be depicted in a naval movie. There's a guy lounging on his on the bench reading a book. There's they're climbing up and down a ladder. There, I mean, and I know a B-52 is a big plane, and I'm not saying they exaggerated that. I'm just saying like that was just kind of the thing that struck me the most. It's almost, it almost looked as though they were living sort of on the plane. Um, there's a scene where they do open a emergency survival kit that has some ridiculous stuff in it. And Slip Pickens does say you can have a nice night in Vegas with this stuff. It's like a set of, you know, a pair of nylons, three lipsticks, seven packs of gum, a prophylactic. <laughs> Just random stuff in there. Um, aside from there's a sidearm and some some sea rations. Uh, so in the process of watching the B-52 crew, you get the feel for what Plan R is and how kind of hopeless it is to 
to recall them, especially now that Brigadier General is dead. They get hit by an enemy missile, which damages their plane uh, by them hemorrhaging fuel, damages their auto-destruct button, it damages their communications, and it damages, we find out, the payload, the, the, the door to drop the payload won't open. So we don't find that out right away. So they're hemorrhaging fuel. They can't make it to their primary target. And nobody can get a hold of them. So that's that. Back at the base, Colonel Batguano finds the office and finds that Mandrake is there and Ripper is dead. And he tries to take Mandrake prisoner until Mandrake pulls some bravado and says, you know, it's on you. It's on you if I don't get the president on the phone because I have the codes to stop this attack. Because he's figured out based on doodles that the General Ripper had that it's very likely P.O.E., meaning peace on earth, purity of essence. He kept doodling that. So P.O.E. is very likely the code. It was. There's some funny stuff it with OPE. He he found out that those three letters, because he kept using phrases with those three letters, was part of the code. So he had to get that information to the war room. But it was actually I because I thought it was funny because the code is Opie. Oh, fair enough. I I I sincerely thought it was Poe. Okay. Um, anyway, so he gets the information, he's trying to get the information to the war room, and there's a funny scene where he doesn't have enough, uh, all the phones are cut off, the red phone's cut, everything's, and, but the pay phone still works. Mandrake doesn't have enough change to call the, to call the White House, and he tries to call Collect, and the White House doesn't accept the charges, and so he has... Colonel Bat Guano shoot the Coke machine, in which case Bat Guano says that uh, he'll have to deal with the Coca-Cola Corporation if the pre- if he's lying about the president. So they get the codes to the Pentagon. They call everybody back, um, and they're everybody's coming back. Everybody's celebrating. Woohoo! Four were shot down, and the premier calls, and he's mad as hell. And it turns out that. Slim Pickens' plane is still coming. Flying under radar because they're damaged. And hemorrhaging fuel the whole nine yards. No way to get a hold of them. So the president makes the decision for them to shoot him down. But before that can happen, they go to drop their payload at the closest target. Because they don't have enough fuel to make it to their primary or secondary target. Just a target. And... The door won't open. So Slim Pickens, sorry, I keep calling him that. That's his actual name. Major Kong goes down to where both both missiles are and fixes it. And the door opens and the iconic scene, he's straddling the missile as it's falling to earth. Yelling yeehaw, swinging his uh, hat in the air. 
And James Earl Jones, as Lieutenant Lothar Zog, says, just as he's falling, what about Colonel Kong? <laughs> and that's our Major Kong. So back in the war room, they realize they're screwed. They come up with, well, Dr. Strangelove, a former Nazi who has come aboard the president's cabinet, theorizes the way to save the, the human race is to send a number of people down in, deep into the mine shafts and have 10 women to every man, blah, blah, blah. And the Russian ambassador blows them all up. Well, not blah, 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 because they didn't like the idea until a room full of men was told that there'd be 20 women to each man. Well, that's fair enough. <laughs> that's fair. And then, just like the rest of the movie, which we didn't really get into, um, they keep talking about, we can't have a blank gap. Like, uh, General... General Turgensen keeps saying, we can't have a weapons gap. Well, he stands up and he's like, I think that we can't have a mineshaft gap. And that's when the Russian ambassador sneaks away and sets off a bomb, I think. Because he hit the... Yeah, I was really clear on that. But at the same time, the nuclear bomb that the B-52 crew has dropped on Russia, has set off the doomsday device, and the movie ends with nothing but nuclear explosions everywhere. Yep. That's the plot. That's the movie. It really is a hard movie to talk about in terms of plot. However, I do want to talk for a second. Peter Sellers and George C. Scott were amazing in this movie. It was, I had to tell Steve that Peter Sellers was playing the president. Like, this is how different he was. In, it wasn't just in how he acted. They dressed him different and everything like that. But he had different mannerisms, different characters, different accents, different everything. Like, I, he was incredible. Um, George C. Scott is actually not an actor that I typically like. He typically plays, well, this character... At least in the movies that I've seen him in. However, this character is incredible. It was just enough over the top to make him funny. But just real enough to make him believable. Yeah, so it I made thought it George C. Scott did a very, very good... Very good... Uh, was very good in this movie. I thought his acting was on point. He was just the right part of satire and the right part of serious that I think really probably for me made his performance the standout of the movie. Yeah, he was, I, I also never really appreciated his uh, facial expressions, but he, uh, is a pretty expressive guy, <laughs> but, um, I did enjoy Peter Sellers a little bit as Dr. Strangelove. I know the movie's named for this character, but he's not actually in the movie all that much. He's kind of in the background. Um, I don't know. I actually, that was kind of getting on my nerves, the Doctor Strangelove stuff with his hand and how he wanted to salute the Fuhrer all the time. And he had to like fight his arm not to do it or something. I don't know what was really up with that. It's but an it absurd, just, it's an absurd. Well, I know it's, <laughs> it's supposed to be absurd, but to me, I just, I didn't like that part. Okay. I'm not saying that Peter Sellers didn't do a good job. I mean, I, I liked him in the movie. That part of it, I just mm -hmm. 
it was taking me out of the movie. I did like Mandrake, actually. His character of Mandrake was kind of, if you put yourself into the position of being locked in an office with certain death and a crazy person, he's almost certainly exactly how you would behave. Hmm. The quiet voice, the, the, the just appeasing him, like, he was very good. Um, Slim Pickens, uh, played a guy, I don't know. The, uh, he was good, um, but I, I believe he was cast for his voice. I, everybody on the B-52 was cast for their voice, because nine times out of ten they're wearing their helmets with the... So they all had unique, James Earl Jones, Slim Pickens. They all had a good, clear, distinctive voice to tell the characters apart. Um, but he got to run away with the show by having the scene that everybody remembers, which is falling to Earth on... Riding the nuclear missile. Uh, that's spoofed and referred to and so many other so many other pieces of cinematic art such as Armageddon and cartoons. Was it spoofed in Armageddon? Oh yeah. Uh, Steve Buscemi straddles one of the one of the the nuclear warheads they're gonna use to blow up the uh... asteroid. Yes. <laughs> and he, he rides he's oh I, yeah that, i forgot that part yeah it's when he's going crazy when they're on the asteroid so basically this is a satire movie done to poke fun at conspiracy theories the army the office of the presidency and the pentagon and they do a pretty good job I don't know what else to say. What about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess they do a pretty good job. I'm not, I guess, a big satire fan. So watching the movie, to me, I was trying to watch it for the comedy. There wasn't really, in my opinion, a lot of the comedy I like. So, but like I said, there were points in it that I thought were very interesting. I mean, I liked uh, George C. Scott's performance. I liked most of um, Peter Sellers' performance. There were parts that I thought were interesting, like the arms race and how, oh, well, now that we're have, we have this idea to put everybody in mines, well, now what if the Russians do that? We can't have a mine gap. And so, I mean, I there were a lot of parts that I, being a fan of history, um, that I thought were interesting, poignant, and I was interested in the play off of that based off of kind of real world events um how not maybe this direct scenario could happen but how something like that could happen so for me the movie was interesting in that point i have to say though as watching the film for entertainment I probably wasn't as entertained as other people, and maybe that's just because I'm dumb. No, I don't think it's because you're dumb. I just happen to like absurd. I like slapstick comedy. I still watch cartoons. I like the absurd. 
There was uh, a vein of very smart commentary through this, which you got. Yeah, I mean, I did like the smart commentary. I mean, I thought that a lot of that was interesting. Um, But a lot of the absurdity is to poke fun at... Just the... The Cold War itself was absurd. It was like this whole, like, we have to have weapons in order to keep the peace because if we don't have weapons, they're going to attack. The whole thing was absurd. You know, Ellen said that she watched this movie in class. And honestly, I think the enjoyment I got out of this movie was if I had to watch this film in high school. It was... An okay film. Mm -hmm. I got some stuff out of it, but I didn't actually enjoy watching it all that much. I do really enjoy this film. But again, like I said, I do like the absurd. And (laughs) it's so strange to watch Kubrick movies, especially movies that are not what you would expect to be a Kubrick movie like this one. Where suddenly you're in a Kubrick movie because he does those strange, weird, extreme angles, like like okay. when uh, like when General Jack Ripper is talking uh, over the intercom to his soldiers, and he's got the camera like down by his knee or something, and there's like a spotlight on his face. <laughs> it's <laughs> just like. Um, so I do enjoy watching Kubrick movies just for those little bits of. Yep, I'm in a Kubrick movie. There we are. Because, yeah, not all of the Kubrick movies, like, announce themselves right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, Kubrick is not one of my favorite directors or writers. But I do really enjoy this movie. Probably okay. because it does tickle my funny bone. Um, with my slapstick, with my absurdity... It just is what it is. <laughs> All right. However, do you believe that this movie is important enough to be on the top 50? I don't know. I mean, I would say pro- I can understand why it was voted to be on the top 50. I mean, it is a very poignant depiction in a comical form of a time in American history that was very important and I mean relatively recent Um, so I understand why it was chosen I probably wouldn't have put it on the list but that's because I have different opinions of what makes uh, amazing film and for me this just I understand why they chose it, but for me, I probably wouldn't have put it on the list because I wouldn't have thought that way when trying to create a list of the top 50. Gotcha. So we're running, both of us, like combined, we're running about 50-50 on good movies as far as whether we like them or not. Right? That, yeah, I yeah. would say that. that's about right, yeah. So that's an interesting, maybe that we should watch and see if that still holds after this. Because this is like exposing the two of us to movies that we wouldn't have watched otherwise. You know, I think most of the movies that I've watched uh, from this little project I have never seen before. And Ellen's seen a lot more of them, but... 
Um, but I mean, we've got a couple more Hitchcock movies coming up and some more comedies and some more um, super serious. So, so, you so know. do you think that this movie should be in the top 50 of all time? Well, American movies of all time. Well, right. <laughs> Most of the movies we're watching are American films. Well, it's because the it's the American Film right. Institute. Yeah, is. exactly. Um, yeah. I don't know that Stanley Cooper... I'm going to get crucified for this if anybody ever listens to this. But <laughs> I don't think that... I think Kubrick is overrated. Okay. There, I said it. It's He's overrated. However, the two Kubrick movies that we have watched in the past two weeks or three weeks. I understand they can acknowledge why they're preserved on this list and why they have a have a rating so high on this list. This is definitely showing a period of time. And it's actually a really good example of Kubrick's work without it being like only Kubrick's tropes. It's, it's a good example of how he used his tropes to better emphasize a story um, as far as the technical side of things. The story itself is, as you could tell from my earlier plot, synopsis, which I can't even really use that as a word uh, in this case. As you can tell by our earlier discussion about the plot, it it's not an easy movie to... To categorize, it's not an easy movie to um, capsulize, I guess. But this movie is a very good depiction in an absurdist sort of way of the Cold War and how many Americans felt about those damn Reds, those damn Ruskies. Um, 2001, A Space Odyssey is a really good depiction of how Scientists like Carl Sagan and a few other astronomers felt about how life, extraterrestrial life, would manifest. I, they did, he did a good job of throwing everything at a story and making it as believable within that world as possible. However, I think he's overrated. I think he, I shouldn't say overrated. I feel like uh, Chris from Family Guy. It insists upon itself. It's like he he insists upon. I'm the. I don't know. I don't know either. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's almost like the movie has to be good because Kubrick's name's on it. Well, frankly, that's just not the case. Same thing with Steven Spielberg, who is one of my favorite directors. He's. I don't know. He's too stylized for my taste overall, including this movie. I mean, there are times that I'm like, I don't like, is this really the time for you to go super close up to that guy's face? I, you know, it's just like, um, and I'm just babbling now, so I'm just going to stop. All right. <laughs> then let us continue to the next thing. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. Our next movie is a bad movie called The Incredible Melting Man from 1977. Another military satire. Somewhat. Somewhat. It's supposed to be a horror movie. So, there you have it. That is our review of Dr. Strangelove or... 
How I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. If you like this review, didn't like this review, like this movie, and I'm just totally crazy and don't get it, please comment, be polite, hit subscribe, hit the bell for notifications. If you have any questions, you can also leave them in the comments and we will look them over. Maybe in the future, we will use some time from our reviews to answer some of them. Other than that, it looks like they are lighting the lanterns on the streets of Royville. So I think we're about done. So if you have a great... Uh, sorry, I... <laughs> I got too wrapped up in my spiel, so good night, everyone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>